Hi there, Editor Daniel for a quick second, just at the start as the introduction with Adam speaking got a wee bit messed up, it is just the first 35 seconds after that, everything's fine, so apologies for that, the, the recording just messed up a wee bit, but after that, we're all good, so please enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Perth to Paisley podcast, a podcast dedicated to Heart and Midlothian Football Club, a side that managed to record their first win in five league matches the weekend before last. Joining me, Adam Kennedy, to discuss all things about the is, as always, Mr. Kyver. How are we? I'm very good. Uh, I obviously have to take responsibility for the fact that there was just a week missing. Uh, last week so I do apologize for that that was entirely my fault but everything is sorted now and I'm delighted that we're delayed by a week but speaking about a positive thing rather than be delayed by a week and speaking about a very negative thing how are you yeah no it's it's funny you say that mate I think we've we've chosen a good week to have a a skive off Um, and I'm I'm great you know I'm just hearts managed to make my trip from Ayrshire to Edinburgh worthwhile uh, the weekend before last obviously Scotland are flying as well it's just everything's coming up fantastically and another delight is to the fact that we're able to welcome our first guest of the new season um it's a long overdue appearance on the podcast for Mr Scott McIntosh aka Amoruso lets it run Scott how does it finally feel to be on Perth to Paisley because I should specify this is probably our doing more than it is yours uh, no, uh, very, very happy to be on, guys. Thanks very much for the uh, for the introduction. And I mean, it's not good enough for Ronaldo, but I'm completely fine just hogging sort of uh, Coca Cola online. So that's fine. That's we do this a few times. I mean, I hope Coca are obviously in touch to give us that little fee. I was about to say, yeah, we need that. We need the brand deals on the go immediately. <laughs> the brand exposure. Um, yeah. But Scott, obviously, you're one of the more kind of prominent pages on Hearts Twitter. Um, I think it's fair to say that the floor is yours. Are you going to give us kind of a wee rundown on, you know, the content that you provide? What What is happening over at Amaruso Let's It Run, if you like? Yeah, I, it's pretty much still a work in progress because uh, it's pretty much just me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's there's no one else sort of running the ship. So it's just whenever I've got time to sort of update the, the website or the YouTube channel. So I'm currently in the process of having to reconvert over 1,400 clips on YouTube just to get a better resolution uh, because I wasn't happy with the, with the original sort of converting gear that I was using sort of two, three years ago. So I'm doing that, I'm updating the website and I'm also in the process of doing the book, which will come out in 2023. Excellent stuff. I, I take it when you say converting, is it like VHS or what, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's pretty much predominantly the majority it's VHS, apart from anything from around 2009 onwards. So even right. some of the stuff from sort of 2006, 2007, it's it's old VHS, the old Satana games and that. <laughs> uh, I mean, fair play. Like there's, I, I, I started off with my own collection, but over the last sort of six to 12 months, there's actually been a, a couple of guys who are quite closely linked to sort of Hearts Museum and that in the recent uh, Bobby Walker book who have actually mm-hmm. given me their collections. And, you know, the 
pretty much the, the deal is I get the, the material, I can then use it for the YouTube channel, but equally so I've got to make sure that I can then convert all the stuff for them so that they've got on one easy sort of disk drive rather than, I'd say it's about seven boxes that one of the guys gave me. So it was over 300 tapes that I had to work through. Uh, so I, it's, it's, it's a bit of work, but I love it because you just, you find, you just find some clips that you've you've either forgotten about or never even seen first time round. So there's a really good one of Jimmy Greaves, uh, for sort of over 30 years ago, so he's slagging off Henry Smith, uh, an old Saint and Greavesy clip. And then there's been stuff for the, the old AGMs for 2005 when there were proper AGMs. Not the sort of, you know, diluted stuff that you get now where we're turning a profit every year, we actually <laughs> run as a business. I'm talking people wanting but heads we were on spikes. Like in the heart yeah. of chaos. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, you you kind of do get a bit nostalgic for those days. So, uh, so I, it's, it's, it's therapeutic as well. I tend to find that nostalgia is a, a really good thing for your mental health, whether it be football, wrestling, film, music, whatever it is, whatever your vices are, I tend to find that a bit of nostalgia doesn't do you any harm. That, that honest to God, sounds like some shift. I think we've just had the vast majority of kind of teenagers and younger turn off at the thought of VHS, they probably know <laughs> Scooby what that is, so we're going to move on. Um, yeah, I probably lost them with Saint Greaves, it'd be fair. You might have to, <laughs> <laughs> you might have to get some little bubbles going up in the in the top yeah. corner, just explaining what everything is that I mentioned during tonight's yeah. uh, podcast. Next, next week, we'll try and claim the younger generation back, but <laughs> before we go on to do that... Wait a uh, now, wait a now. I want to say it because this is a very historic moment in this podcast, because... We're 63 episodes in, and for the first time ever, Scott just mentioned it there, the number of wrestling fans overcome the non-wrestling oh, fans. So therefore, go. I'm going to be making hundreds of references that you may understand at all, but Scott will appreciate, and I cannot wait for this. I'm really sorry, Adam. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, mate. I was really looking forward to this episode. I thought we've got an extra week. I could try and make it even better if that's possible. No, nope, I'm hijacking this. Now, yep, now that's that's my parade, well and truly pissed off. Just had the AEW over the weekend, so actually exactly. waiting that week's not done you any favours when it comes <laughs> exactly. to wrestling. Reference. Fucking cowboy shit is in full flow right now, <laughs> and I'm buzzing. Anyway, um, before we go on to do the usual kind of around-the-ground segment for the weekend before last, Hearts fans, including even, I think, our own Daniel McIver, We'll have been watching on with intrigue as Scotland concluded their World Cup qualifying campaign. Now, the final duo fixtures in this group, this seems to have been the longest qualifying group in human history. Was it just me? Um, but obviously, it saw the Tartan Army take on Moldova away, as we record last Friday night, um, before concluding their group against Denmark, a, a near faultless Denmark uh, at Hamden on the Monday night last night, as we record. Um, of course, I think they are notable due to a couple star performers um, in those games. The first of which came on Friday night. Scotland did get the better of a hopeless Moldova, um, but our own Craig Gordon managed to uh, save a penalty. Did either of you catch the Moldova match? Yes, I did. I wasn't properly paying attention because I've, it's it's become a running theme in these shows on Twitter that I, out of the two of us, I am the less passionate Scottish football fan. Uh, but I had it on in the background, and I think I tweeted like 20 minutes in going, my only summation from casually watching is that Moldova are shite. They just looked absolutely atrocious. Um, but it was just, my MO has been, as long as the Hearts players don't get hurt, 
I'm a happy man. We could have lost both those games 5-0. And as long as Gordon was fine, I wouldn't have cared a jot. But obviously... What Never mind the playoff place, mate. Yeah, exa- no, that <laughs> doesn't matter. As long as their fitness is fine. Exactly. But Gordon was just... I mean, Gordon was just Craig Gordon, really. It was just every Hearts fan on the planet would have went, he's got to play well. And every non-Hearts fan will go, nah, he's Craig Gordon in the last couple of years at Celtic where he's a bit erratic and his distribution shite. No, he was Craig Gordon of Hearts. Scott, I mean, everybody tunes in, you know, every week to listen to us two clowns running out of superlatives for Craig Gordon. He's just now on impossible to sum up, isn't he? Just how big a presence he is for Hearts specifically, but now obviously you see it for the national team as well. Yeah, and he's, he's adding penalty saves to his repertoire, which, if I'm going to be completely honest, hasn't been something that's been particularly high on his list of skill sets. You know, I think I could count on one hand how many penalties he saved in a Hearts jersey. Uh, so it was a bit of a surprise to see that. Uh, I have to admit, I'm, I'm probably pretty much on board with Daniel here. I'm quite jaded and detached as a, a sort of fanny Scottish, you know, the Scottish national team. But last night, watching it, I mean, how could you not get wrapped up in that? I mean, hearing the atmosphere through the TV, it is helped by the fact that I think Ian Crocker and Ali McCoy do a really good job of selling the product as well. Uh, and, and and Ian Crocker has his knockers, but I mean, he's been covering Scottish football now for about the last 22, 23 years, and I always think he's done a really good job, specifically when he is Englishman, covering the national because team. Because everybody yeah. forgets that he's from he's from Weymouth, I think, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Aye. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I thought last night they were superb, and it they were great at doing all the things that Scotland have been renowned at doing, you know, over the last 40, 50 years. So they had, you know, the, they played on the front foot. There was plenty sort of speed, you know, there was plenty sort of pace to the game. They were pressing high. They were playing with all that spirit and all the sort of usual sort of cliches that you'll hear from pundits. But there was a lot of football in that team. And I thought, you know, naturally... People like John Souter and Billy Gilmore and that got all the plaudits and Che Adams and they deserve that. But for me, Cal McGregor was one of the best players on the park. Uh, and he's another one. I, I think he he needs a move. Like, I think he's he's better than Stuart Armstrong. He's better than a lot of the players who have went down south of Celtic over the last five, ten years. And last night proved it. Uh, so I'd like to see a move. At selfish reasons, again, going back to, you know, club football being the the be on end all for me. I'd quite like Celtic to lose probably their best midfielder as well. Uh, but yeah, it was a really good game of football last night. Of course, you mentioned last night there. Um, and whilst Craig Gordon was selected for only the Moldova match out of, you know, the two representatives that Hart and Lillian had within the squad, John Suter was given the nod to start. And Daniel, he opened the scoring. I just watched on like a proud father. I just, there was near near tears streaming from my eyes. What a guy. What a guy. What a footballer. And what a kick in the nuts it's going to be when Hearts inevitably lose him, potentially as, as soon as January. Well, to keep up this, Daniel doesn't really care about Scotland. I wasn't watching the game at that point. Um, I, I didn't. I was just like, we're just going to get battered off Denmark. I'm really not arsed at watching it. So I didn't do, even have it on. Do you not think, I, I was listening to what Scott was saying there as well. Do you not think there's a kind of, Scotland have such a hearts feel. Like, I feel as though we'll happily raise our game for the old firm or bigger opponents. Yet it's against these little jobbers, like we've said, even this early on in the season, 
that will tend to drop points against and that's where the frustration comes from. Yeah, in our lifetime that has very much been the case where our failure to qualify for stuff has often hinged on the fact that we've dropped points in the stupid games where we should be winning. But this team just kind of seems to not to do that. Uh, So I was on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. I was on Twitter and suddenly I just saw everybody, my entire Twitter feed jump forward a hundred tweets as it just exploded with John Suter. And I managed to turn it on to see the replay of the goal. So I saw it in real time. Uh, It's just, there's no one more deserving. There's no one more, that I feel more pride for, apart from if Craig Gordon scored, I'd probably feel more pride than that, which we found out last night that Hearts have a gift ready. <laughs> I was going to say, Gordon did you see that? Scored. Yes, it's class. Um, but listen, we've all said it, pundits who aren't associated with Hearts have all said it, John Suter wouldn't still be at Heart of Midlothian if he didn't have his injuries. He's 25 now, he should be in the English Premiership, never mind the Scottish Premiership, and he should have far more caps than he does under his belt. There's obvious reasons why that hasn't happened. I'm just delighted for him. Deserved that moment. Andrew Petrie won a bit of money because he had Suter as the goal scorer. So it was just a great night for all of us involved with Heart of Midlothian. <laughs> Certainly was. Scott, would you go along with that? Were you two having a, a proud father moment as I was? Yeah, I, I, I probably would. And it's funny, one of the one of the good points you made there was about the sort of consistency and lack thereof that we've had against the smaller nations, you know, specifically over the last sort of 15 to 20 years when we've been struggling to qualify. If you look at our points tally this time round, I think we're three points worse off than England and four points worse off than, than Denmark. So that's... I think more important than anything else, it's vital that they take that consistency into the next qualifying group for the next European Championships, because if they can maintain that, they will start qualifying without the need for playoffs further down the line. Uh, so it's, it's been a nice really good to see mind you. It's worked out yeah. for us, hasn't it? So. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the thing. And it, look, it really was good to see that. And I've never, even although I have been really, I mean, I, the last Scotland game I went to was the the infamous sort of Scotland-Lithuania game in 2007 uh, with, with Mika Lunas. And, and I mean, I was at a game where there was more Hearts players in the opposition than there was for Scotland. And my loyalties were were generally quite divided that day. And I just decided it wasn't for me. So I'm, I've always been happy for all my friends and my family and that who are very much into the Scotland game. So like I say, it was hard not to get wrapped up in it last night. And But in all honesty, I'm just fucking glad that it's done now because I want to get back to club football. I'm the exact same, in the exact same boat. And Suter didn't tear his crochet. I know his brother did, but he didn't, and that's the most important thing. And I think it's fair to say that the three of us are all looking forward to getting back to club football. Yes, the international break, for once, has been decent, back-to-back 2-0 victories, Scotland performing. But, of course, this podcast is centred around the domestic football scene in Scotland, specifically Hart Midlothian Football Club. So we are going to go around the grounds. Um, I, I was saying that to Daniel just before you came on, Scott. That seemed to have been the longest international break of all time. Like We're going to reference the weekend before last's fixtures. It feels like a lifetime ago. But Yeah, I know. That's, that's just me, I suppose. <laughs> no, 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 it's true. And I've, but I think, you know why? It, it feels longer just now because we're actually gagging to see Hearts play. Like, it's, let's be honest, it hasn't been like that for a while. And I think we're feeling it more so when there is an international break, when in fact, last year and years gone by, it's been it a respite. 
Yeah, you've actually not it would wanted come at a good time end. for us, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I think that's probably what's making you feel like it's it's sort of stagnating and it's longer than what it has been. Not not used to the two teams performing so well in tandem. Something's got to go wrong. Yeah, um, definitely. But of course, that Saturday, the sixth of November, we are going to touch on the United game um, later on. However, there were two matches elsewhere. An absolute stinker in Perth. We're going to get that out of the way. St Johnston nil, St Mirren nil. I think that's the second stalemate between the two teams. So yeah. absolutely rubbish. Um, but the other was up at Pitodre and Aberdeen. Just when we thought that they'd turn the corner under Stephen Glass, up come the Steelmen and beat them 2-0 at Pitodre. Kevin Van Veen brace. Thank God he's suspended for the weekend, given he's back in amongst the goals. What did we make of that? Particularly given Aberdeen's decent recent run, McIver. Well, it's just another team who are about to play us, who go, <laughs> right, we'll start a kick on now that we've got hearts next. Um, obviously, Kevin Van Veen takes his goal very well. I, I don't think you'll see a more one-sided game of football where the side doesn't win. Uh, it was something tremendous. Like, it's like Dave McCormack referencing the stats, isn't it? It's exactly. Come, it's come back to fruition again. Aberdeen had something like 74% possession, 19 shots. Motherwell had two shots and scored with both of them. Uh, so it was very funny. I will say, obviously, yeah, listen, Van Veen took his goals very well and he very much is becoming this cult hero at Motherwell. There was a bit of reaction where everyone was like, as you just said, oh, thank God he's, he's no playing against us because he's suspended. I remember everybody said that when they came to Tynecastle, it was like, oh God, he's really, he's doing really well. Tony Watt's really informed. I felt Tony Watt had a much better game against us. Van Veen. shot him that day, definitely. Yeah, Van Veen looked like he was going to do nothing but get sent off for 60 minutes, then got hooked. So I, I actually wasn't that worried without knowing he was suspended. But then I saw he was suspended and I was like, all right, okay. It's it doesn't matter bonus. anyway. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, we'll come to that later then. You must be feeling hella confident ahead of the weekend. Scott. <laughs> Scott, what have you made of Aberdeen's demise? I've not had the chance to do a proper deep dive into it, but there's I can see similarities between what Aberdeen are doing this season and what Hearts were doing under Craig Levine not that long ago. You know, only going back two or three years in terms of having a lot of possession against the smaller teams at home, but they're allowing you to have that possession because they know that if they play, you know, with the four defenders across the middle of the park, play them quite tight to the 18-yard box they're not going to break them down. I think if you were to look at those 19 shots, a lot of them were from long distance. Uh, and there is similarities between the Aberdeen team just now and what we've seen previously with Hearts under Levine, where you raise it for the big games because you're not expected to create a lot of chances. You're just expected to maybe try and nick a goal or two if you set plays. That's pretty much what they've done against us. I wouldn't say they really tore us to shreds. They were the better team by miles, but that was more to do with sort of grit and determination rather than skill and ability. Uh, I also think they're, they're struggling to really find a 15 to 20 goal a season striker as well. You know, Watkins has his uh, attributes, so does guys like Ryan Hedges, but very rarely do they see out a full season without a niggle or two. So I think they've still got a lot of problems. I'd be surprised if they finish any higher than fifth. I still think they'll finish top six, but I think they're really going to continue to struggle against Motherwell, St. Johnston, you know, United, Dundee and that at home specifically. I just think teams are not going to open up and, and play the way that they want them to. Obviously, everybody hears our thoughts, kind of with the Scottish Premiership and McIver and I have made our predictions. Is, is Aberdeen kind of the main surprise that you've taken from the season so far? 
Not really. I'd say Hibs are probably the biggest surprise. I would have expected Hibs to have been stronger by this stage. Uh, if you look at the if you look at the quality on paper, Hibs and Hearts have got better squads than Aberdeen just now. Uh, so Aberdeen, if they finish fifth, really, when you look at, I mean, yeah, you could look at the the wage bill and say that that's obviously underperforming. But if you actually look at the quality on paper of their squad compared to ours, I would expect Hearts and Hibs to finish above them, and probably Hibs form recently over the last five to six weeks has been more a surprise than anything else I've seen. Excuse me. It's funny you mentioned Hibs there because last season, I was convinced that Hibs were adamant that when Celtic had their issues through COVID, that they ought to play their fixtures. I think Hibs were due to play them at Parkhead. And yet, funnily enough, Hibs, you know, COVID's been rife in their camp, yet they're more than happy to sit out and allow fixtures to be postponed and not participate in them. So... I will, say, I will say that they are slightly different situations. Celtic were hit in a way that was more like they had to isolate and it was predominantly the first team. It has mm. ran through Hibs. Hibs didn't Hibs couldn't even name an under 18s squad. Like it was something like the rule is you have to have a minimum of over 18-year-olds in the squad, and Hibs couldn't make it. So what like, were they at? Were they not at like eight players or something? No, they were like fifteen or something that were out. So they had they, they genuinely and that's including like if they had academy because my Hibs mate at work was like I don't think we're going to be able to play for a month. That was genuinely the feeling within it, and now now it's not benefited them because a lot of a lot of people, especially Livingston, David Martindale, made it very clear that he felt that they were being punished. Um, other clubs have said that. Hibs should just be playing anyway. However, the rescheduled games mean that Hibs play something like five games in 12 days or something with a newly brought back squad from isolating and stuff like that. So that's going to be... And I think the first of that five is this weekend. I was going to say, does that start with the semi-final then? Yeah. I take it, yeah. Interesting. Oh, well. What a shame. What a great... You have to remember as well, I mean, the, the, the comparisons between them and Celtic are a bit unfair just purely because Celtic paid a vast sum of money, also sending injured players abroad with them to yes. pick up that COVID outbreak. So yeah. th- there's a bit where you just, it's hard to feel sorry for Celtic in that predicament when they literally, you know, travelled halfway across the world to pick yeah. it up. Whereas Hibs, you know, it, it, Although there was one or two rumours and there, were, there seemed to have been a disgruntled Rangers fan who yeah. was in the same hotel as them, stirring yeah. up some stories, there doesn't seem to be any substance to that. And it does seem as if it's just been an, an outbreak. And that look, that could ultimately hit probably most clubs over the next sort of yeah. year, 18 months. So I kind of feel like just now, just, you know, let them let them have their, uh, you know, their postponements and, you know, we'll see how they get on. Like Daniel says, you know, five games in sort of 12, 13 days, They've got quite a thin squad as it is with injuries yeah. and suspensions, so it's going to be difficult for them. Uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously it'll start with Sunday, so we'll see how it goes. I just, I'm really feeling the fire. Just if any of our noisy neighbours are tuning in, <laughs> it's just to you know get a right round you. Um, of course, those were three of the Saturday fixtures. The Sunday saw both the old firm winning by four-two score lines. The first of those. Was it uh, Dion's Park as Dundee lost to Celtic 4-2? That was the lunchtime match uh, before Rangers got the better of Ross County at Ibrox. <sighs> Just standard, really, isn't it? I don't yeah. think in, I don't think anybody was particularly surprised to see both the old firm win. It's maybe more 
the kind of four two score lines that is a bit surprising. Particular, I was going to say particularly Rangers at home, but Dundee gave Celtic a shock kind of early doors as well with with hauling themselves or trying to haul themselves back into that game. I think the scoreline flattered Dundee quite a bit. Yeah. I think they only had two or three yeah. shots. And Celtic, Celtic are interesting though. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how we set up at, at Parkhead in a few weeks' time because oh, if you God. watch a lot of their games, they do tail off round about mm. the 60-minute mark. It's exactly what uh, happened first like the first season com- at Tynecastle. Yeah, they completely just go gung-ho. But if they don't go in front after those sort of 60, 70 minutes, they do struggle because, you know, they've, they've pretty much given it their all during that time. You know, very high press, players playing in all sorts of inverted positions. So and the I noticed that even against not, Dundee. The deadlock I, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, some people will say that, you know, they might have just, you know, reversed back a couple of gears because they were already 3-4-1 up by that stage. But if you look at a lot of their other games, you know, they do tend to sort of, not toil, but they've maybe not got the same sort of uh, reserves as, you know, during those last 20 minutes as they do in the first 60, 70. So that'll be interesting to see if that continues over the season or whether that's something they'll address. Uh, it's maybe just a fitness issue. Uh, it's maybe something that, he, you know, if you remember, you know, Postacoglu didn't come in until around sort of July time, end of June. So it's maybe something he's not been able to fix with the, the sort of squad that he inherited. Mm-hmm. And obviously Rangers as well. Any any particular surprises? Now, obviously managerless Rangers, we should say. Yeah, um, of course, given, given the speculation. MacIver, we talked about Steven Gerrard potentially going to Newcastle. Surprised that he's made the move to, to Aston Villa? I'm not surprised he's made the move because he's not going to go from the Rangers job straight to the Liverpool job. Like, he could win every single trophy at Rangers, possible. And he still wouldn't go because, rightly or wrongly, English football looks down on Scottish football. So Liverpool would go, no, he isn't proven. So, of course, he's going to need to go and prove himself at another side. I'm kind of a bit surprised that he chose Villa in general, just because he's never been in that situation as a manager. Obviously, the squad they have, the table's in a bit of a false dawn with where they are. It looks like, oh, they're in a relegation battle. It's this early on in the season. I don't think they will be in and around there, but it'll be interesting to see because the ambition for Villa, obviously they had a very good season last season, but Grealish was like 70% of that. And since they've lost them, Leon Bailey hasn't really hit the ground running. He's struggled to get up to fitness really. And he was very much the direct replacement. It will be interesting to see what, Gerard can actually do with that squad but from a Rangers perspective it's disastrous it couldn't have happened at a worse time I think listen it looks like they're going to get Van Bronckhorst in which I think is a annoyingly good appointment I think that is a very good uh, signing for them as a manager but a week before a League Cup semi-final the, one of the trophies he didn't win four points off the top well four points off us and a European run that they kind of need to do well in, it's a lot to just kind of go, right, that's me away a week or so after going, they'll look settled, they'll look happy. So from a Rangers perspective, I am surprised he went because they must now be like, we need to get Van Bronckhorst in as quick as possible and just hope it works the same way as it has been. Scott, you go along with that. What have you made of Rangers kind of so far this season? And now Gerard's away. Are you adamant that it's going to be Giovanni Van Bronckhorst as well as their new gaffer? Yeah, I pretty much echo Daniel's sentiments regarding that as well. I think it's a pretty, pretty solid appointment. 
you know, you've got to remember a lot of the guys that will have signed under the previous regime will have done so probably due to the clout that Gerard brings with him. Mm-hmm. And there would have been a respect for him, even although he was, you know, in managerial terms, a novice, there would have been a respect for what he'd achieved as a player. So I think if they had replaced if they'd replaced him with, let's just say, a Derek McInnes or someone else like that, I don't know if there would have been that same respect for the dressing room and he would have had to have worked 10 times as hard to get that. I think Van Bronckhorst, with what he's achieved, you know, in his playing days and that, I think there'll straight away be a respect there. It'll be interesting to see how much he knows of the Scottish game over the last 15, 20 years since he was last here. It might be that they decide to bring somebody, you know, maybe in the backroom staff that can maybe help him through that transition uh, because that's something that's clearly helped Postacoglu, you know, keeping Kennedy, McManus, Strachan, all those sort something of guys Something the Rangers there. have also done as well. I, I even think Matt... They appointed Mark Warburton. I thought Davy Weir can as his number two was a good appointment back then. Yeah, obviously yeah. Gary McAllister and whatever to accompany Gerard. Yeah, it's a that's a decent point. Yeah, I think that's definitely something they'll need to consider. Look, they've still got a good enough squad to win the league, but this will it, it will knock them at some stage. It might not be straight away. Uh, you know, they've got a good game on Sunday to bounce back from. It's a big semi-final. Big wide pitch. They're playing against a team who haven't trained much, haven't played much in a few weeks. I really can't see anything bar quite a comprehensive Rangers victory in that game. Neither. But I think there will eventually come a blip. And when it does, Celtic are starting to look like they're, they're there or thereabouts and ready to sort of jump all over that. So it's going to be interesting to see. But but yeah, they shouldn't have any sort of immediate problems, I can't imagine. No, and of course we'll be watching on with intrigue, hoping that they knock Hibs out as soon as they can. Um, look, we've all spoken, or we've spoken about kind of all these other losers within the league, the Tartan Army. We've not focused enough on Heart and Midlothian Football Club. The reason why we're here, we're going to dive into that Dundee United game now. What an absolute pleasure it was. A, a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon. And Hearts have thrown a couple of them up so far this season, but that that was definitely up there. Um there were three changes for the Jam Tarts after the defeat to the Dons at Pataudry. Michael Smith was omitted from the matchday squad uh, through injury uh, as Taylor Moore took his place at right wing back. And the other two changes came in that front three with Armand Nandule and Gary Mackay-Steven making way for Barry Mackay and Ben Woodburn. Now, episode 62, I had referenced the fact that I would like to see a front three of Barry Mackay, Ben Woodburn and Josh Janelli albeit I don't think it quite took the same way that I had thought that it would. I I suspected that Ben Woodburn would be that central striker, despite not being a recognised striker. But McIver, you were were pretty quick to slag off the team, given that it was the front three that I'd like to see. And the fact that there was no Michael Smith as well. I didn't, I wouldn't say I slagged it off. I was worried. That's that's what I'd say. I'm, I'm still worried about Smith. Uh, and Aren't we all? My, my worries was kind of abated by Robbie saying it was a back spasm issue and that they just they knew he wasn't going to be in the non-Iron squad so he was able to be taken out and have this gap to kind of fully recover. There's no point playing him where it could niggle it and it means that the recovery time is any longer. But I hope he's back in for this weekend in terms of the squad because I just think we're a better squad with Michael Smith. I was worried about the front three in terms of well, so far, there is no goals amongst them this season. <laughs> that was just my worry. However, I did say in the tweet uh, that when the team came out that if it clicked, 
I think it was going to click. And it just like became the most electrifying side in all of sports entertainment. It was incredible. Scott, were there any surprises for the selection there for you? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a surprise. It's such a strange game because you would look at 5-2 and you would focus really on, well, what, what did Dundee United get wrong? But when you actually, when you strip it down and look at how they set up pre-knowing how Hearts were going to go into the game, you'd have went, yeah, high press, push Hearts as far back up the park as you can. There's no out ball. Boyce is out. Nondalee hasn't really proven himself in that sort of role. The likes of Barry Mackay and Gary Mackay Stephen for all their attributes, don't really seem to enjoy making runs in behind the front man. So really, if you're going to press a team like that and force them to go long, you could actually really suffocate them and, and get a decent result. So I actually felt that Dundee United set up shop pretty well, <laughs> you know, considering what they thought they were going to come up against. Obviously, there was a curveball in there with Ginelli starting. Going by what he'd said in the press, uh, you know, post-match, it would seem as if it's not been something that they've just decided on Saturday morning they've clearly been working at it for the week leading up to that game so it's really good to know that we're being a bit proactive and we're thinking about you know plan b and c rather than trying to just come up with something when maybe the first 20-30 minutes don't go our way but but yeah definitely it was it was good to see Ginelli get a run out and also Taylor Moore as well who hasn't he's not really done anything wrong when he has been called upon it's just been that the rest of the squad's been pretty strong in his position so it was good to see both of them come back in. I think it's, it's interesting what you said with regards to a plan B because there's only so much that we know as fans. I think us looking at the fact that only Liam Boyce and Armand Nandwili were the recognised strikers, it is quite reassuring to know that Hearts have got something you know, up their sleeve in that respect, would you not say, McIver? Yeah, definitely. I think Woodburn, we've said almost every week that he's been here that he's, he's always shown that he has ability. I think he's actually arguably the best on-the-ball player we have when you look at what he can do. But before last weekend's game, he'd only contributed one assist in, like, I think, nine games. So when you look at just on the hard stats basis, you would go, well, he's underperforming. But playing him, I was the same as you. I was like, right, he'll be through the middle. But he wasn't. Gino was played. But... The biggest positive for me, speaking about plan Bs and variations, is that they just kept rotating. Barry Mackay dominantly stayed out one side, but Gino and Woodburn just kept swapping between each other. And it meant, I think it was about the 13th minute, and you saw Mulgrew and Edwards kind of just realise, oh, this is what it's going to be like all day. They're just going to keep swapping in. So if we ever get a handle on one of them for, say, four minutes, five minutes, They'll just swap round again, and we need to try and keep up to date with that. And it meant that we were constantly, whenever we got the ball, our front three and with Benny and Cammy and behind, they just knew if we run at them here, they're ill-equipped for this. That was exactly why I kind of wanted that selection mm-hmm. as that three, because I think if we were playing with Armand Nandwili up against Charlie Mulgrew and Ryan Edwards, that defensive duo have been fantastic so far this season. And ultimately, if we're looking to continually play up top to Nandwili, it's food and drink for those two, just heading it away to try and contest with him. So I thought that we had to kind of play in and around them. And to be fair, Hearts played some really scintillating stuff. Like Scott says, United are a good football team. They're one of the best that we've seen at Tynecastle so far this season. But we're genuinely popping it in that first half, which was fantastic. And we've touched on Ben Woodburn there. 
I think United had kind of the first chance. There was a Declan Glass shot, which I think deflected off Stephen Kingsley, yeah. and Craig Gordon kind of sees that behind. But from there on in, I mean, Ben Woodburn, I think it's 22 minutes, he finally opens his heart's account. Um, and it's, look, it's a decent build-up. The, the finish is questionable. Um, John Suter and Barry Mackay are exchanging passes uh, before the latter obviously finds Cammy Devlin centrally. Cammy Devlin then slips in Ben Woodburn at a wide angle. I didn't think that the shot was perhaps the best option. I don't know whether a cut back to Devlin's on, whether he ought to kind of send one to the back stick. Um, but he goes for goal. Benji Seacrest, I'm a, a big fan of, but it sort of squirms through him. And listen, sometimes that's all it takes. I mean, I think we've talked about kind of the Alfredo Morelos syndrome in recent weeks where he's had that 100th Rangers goal on the back of his mind. And ultimately, once he's broken his duck, you know, the strap's then down, everything's released. And he's off the mark, albeit not quite in the way that we'd like. But I think we were just relieved, weren't we, Daniel? Yeah. I was like, I, listen, as this podcast will go more and more on, I will speak more about my love and just ever-growing love for Cammy Devlin. But I was screaming to play it back because I wanted a Devlin goal so badly. But, listen, you can say you're right. Seagrist, it is a goalkeeping mistake. Seagrist should be claiming it. But, it, like, he hits it with enough power that it goes under him and... It is one of those things, as you say, it's like it doesn't matter how they go in as long as they go in. And I'm just delighted for him because he deserves it. You could tell by celebration he was absolutely delighted. And it you almost saw as he was running that weight come off his shoulders and go, right, I can, I can now play with that freedom. Scott, were you kind of sharing the same frustrations that Ben Woodburn hadn't you know, got off the mark as of yet? Because he has looked lively in most fixtures. We kind of talked about him potentially trying too hard. Do you think that's been the case or are we talking absolute nonsense? I don't know. I I think sometimes it can just come down to just clicking with other players and look, it's not meaning for this to sound disparaging to the rest of the squad, but you do get guys like Woodburn who, you know, come up from a an atmosphere and a setup where they're maybe not playing first team football, but they're training with the first team at Liverpool quite a bit. And you'll probably find that when you're on a wavelength with those players, it can sometimes be difficult to then come up here and be on the same wavelength with some of the other guys. And I felt that there was a bit of that. I thought that he then lost his focus. You could see the frustration was setting in. If you look at his bookings against uh, Dundee and Aberdeen, really sort of silly bookings. Uh, came on against St. Johnston and he'd done okay. So he had sort of a half-decent cameo that night. But you could see that the frustration was definitely setting in. But like Daniel was saying, you know, you could just see the you know weight of the world lift and be up on his shoulders when he scored that. And I actually thought, although I'm not claiming that he meant to hit it this way, if you're going to try and beat somebody Seagrass's stature at his far post, you're actually better playing it as close to his midriff as possible and keeping it low. Because for a guy his size, it's going to be really it's hard for to him to get down and adjust. Yeah. Whereas if you play it into the corner, chances are he'll get a hand to that. Like these guys have said, he is a really good keeper. And it's, you know, seldom do you see him make a mistake like that. But in, in a weird way, the way that he hit actually, I think, worked out well for him, given the position that he was in. It's a, a fine but fluky finish, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> um, and of course, three minutes later, it got even better for the hosts as the Jambos then went two to the good. Taylor Moore sends a long ball forward. Josh Janelli picks it up on the right-hand side. Like McIver says, you know, the three of them were just 
all over the gaff um, with constantly interchanging. And that's what sort of made it, I think it made it a more pleasurable watch, given that you didn't quite know where some, or the positions that somebody was going to pick up, whether they drift out wide, come back in centrally and whatnot. Um, and Gino cuts back for McIver's love child, Cammy Devlin, whose shot is then blocked. So naturally, of course, you'd have been raging. Yeah. Uh, but then Ben Woodburn slides in to no avail before it finds its way back out to Gino, crosses to the back stick. And there is Alex Cochran, of all people, McIver, another love child of yours, to slam home on the volley, 2-0 up, 25 minutes in, and it looked as though we were actually cruising. Oh, I, do, I love Alex Cochran so much. He's one of those players that hasn't generally got the kind of recognition I've felt he's deserved. And I get it that people tweet me going, you're the most boring man alive because you like defenders and you like defensive football. And I know, but... As a result, I pay more attention to them. And Cochrane, he's not put a foot wrong, much as Scott was saying, like Taylor Moore. It's just that over on that side, we don't really have much competition for Cochrane. So Cochrane's been able to stay in the team and prove that he's just been Jimmy Dunn 2.0 in terms of lone players coming up and just bossing it, basically. And I actually think the finish is really intelligent. I think he means to hit it into the ground because as a result, it just takes an upspin and Segrist can't do anything about it. Segrist is almost backwards into his own goal because he know there's a couple of players that could hit it and you can just tell he's like, I have no idea who's hitting this. And Cochrane, who before coming to us had never scored a goal in his senior career, now has a couple and fully, fully deserving of it as well. It's lovely, isn't it? I mean, that's that's really nice that he's managed to grab a couple goals, but you are you are weird. Like, everybody's right. Never mind the easy-on-the-eye attackers. You're no. opting for a centre half, a central midfield player that's pretty dynamic. Tough tackle. That, but but and a left back as well. Scott, what have you made of the capture of Alex Cochrane? Have you been impressed? I'll stick up for Daniel here. Uh, I've got an affinity with left backs because yes. I mean this is this is where I'm going to start showing my age. This is even weirder. Me, when I was growing up, falling hearts. We had Tosh McKinley. McKinley left. We brought in Neil Pointing. Neil Pointing left. We brought in Naismith. Naismith left, we brought in Mahi. We then Fisas, we then was. Now, you guys, you have been subjected to Oshinawa and Lenny Sola and some really bad guys at left back. So I'd imagine that it must be more difficult for you guys to have an affinity yeah. with that position. But I, I think the biggest compliment you can give Cochrane is that if you were to say to someone, you know, watch Alex Cochrane for the last five, six games at Hearts and then come back and tell me how old he is. No one would guess that he's that old. He plays with such a maturity. He always seems to select the right option, whether it be, you know, knowing when to play it back, knowing when to play it forward. He's maybe not as dynamic as we possibly need in that position long-term. I still have a bit of a an issue with our options at left and right wing back as much as I like both players who have been playing there predominantly I still think that for Hearts especially away from home to flourish we need more attack minded wing backs just to, just in my opinion but he's, he's done really well and, and he can also fill in at left back and centre half as well so he's been a really good capture so far and again this has been the really nice thing you're so I mean you're naturally happy because Hearts are winning but you actually get really happy for the players that are scoring. You know, even McInef coming off the bench, which we'll touch on later, it's great to see all these guys involved in the squad. They look happy, they're all enjoying it, and, and that just makes the, the whole experience a lot better for us as fans. Also, Cochrane's a class footballer. 
as well. Like a lot, a lot of the stereotype about defenders is that they're not that good with the ball at their feet. That's the attacker's job. Just they're no just nonsense. kind of so- yeah, they're no nonsense. Solid. Get rid of it. What seems to happen about forty-five times a game at home is that Suter will get it, look up, and play that forty-five yarder to Cochrane, and it doesn't matter if it's high, if it's fizz to him low. He can control it, and oftentimes he's touched to control it, puts him on the front foot, and he's able to go. And it's one of those things where it's like he is also just a great footballer as well. Do you think another aspect of it is the fact that he's gone under the radar and Hearts have actually done a decent bit of scouting for once and not just signed, you know, some randomer? It, it actually appears a real coup that, like I say, he's gone under the radar, we've sort of dismissed and yet he's exceeded everybody's expectations. Especially yeah, I mean, I, th- I think one of the reasons why it maybe went under the radar was everyone was expecting Hibs to have a part. That's what I was going to say. You know, and, and, and it's weird, you know, that Aberdeen got Teddy Jenks, who's done okay when he's been fit for them, and then we brought in Copton. So you were kind of thinking, right, if we've been allowed to get him when there's already a, a built-in partnership with our rivals in Brighton, what does that say about this guy? And then, of course, you hear that he's been injured the season before, so you start thinking, well, here's another one. So, no so wonder yeah, we've picked him up. There was a bit of a surprise, but the funny thing about the Brighton link is uh, Hibs.net had done a, a podcast with, is it Kenshaw? Is that his name, Ben Kenshaw, yeah. the, mm-hmm. uh, the chief exec? And he was saying that he didn't even know that they had a partnership with Brighton. So clearly there is an issue there. Uh, wow. So, so I, there's definitely something, the lines of communication, I don't know if David Weir just doesn't answer his phone to Hibs or, or what goes <laughs> on, but uh, but yeah, it's definitely benefited us. Absolutely. Um, and look, it was fantastic to see Cochrane get on the score sheet. Like I say, we were looking comfy for all of three minutes when United actually mustered up a chance of their own. Um Charlie Mulgrew sends in a wicked delivery from a free kick and Nicky Clark at the back stick looks to stab home. I think United actually work it really well. I don't think there's much more that Nicky Clark can do, but Daniel they're just met with another stunning stop from Craig Gordon. It just, when it happened, I just kind of went, yep, that, that's a world-class save that looks normal from Craig Gordon. Like, just totally, it doesn't matter. Yeah, just exactly the same. And it's, he's a broken person. He makes no sense. Like, he seems to be getting younger as we go on. I don't understand what's happening. Like, we've just re-signed 2006 Craig Gordon. Like, how class is that? Did anybody know that was going to happen? Just like, oh, yeah, by the way, Craig Gordon's coming back. Uh, I, he's also just like the Craig Gordon that you, we sold to Sunderland. Do you, do you not think that's because he's had like that chunk of his career out? So he's just making up for lost time in essence. Would that be a fair comment, Scott? Or would you would you go along that? No, it's it's really hard to say. Eh? I mean, there's there's bits of me that thinks that he's a better keeper now than what mm-hmm. we had before he left. Is that what you were uh, going to say, Daniel? Eh? Yeah, that's literally exactly what I was going to say. I, I just and and it's it amazes me that I'm in a position where I can say that. But I would actually say that you know. Whether this has just been spending time playing for Roger Celtic, I think his distribution is better. Uh, I would say that he's claiming more crosses because that was mm-hmm. not something that only Hearts fans t- 
touch on because we always want to think that Craig Gordon was a complete package when he left us. Uh, but let's be honest, Roy Keane was the only one daft enough to pay nine million for a keeper for Scotland, and yeah. he did have issues with cross balls at times, uh, you know, in his younger days. So I would say we've got a better keeper now than what we did back in you know in two thousand and seven when he left us. He's one of the best in Britain. I don't, I don't care. I like, I, I will happily, you know, stand on that hill alone. Um, but United's pressure then did pay off. Ryan Edwards hauls them back into the game, advances into our half under little pressure, um, and just smashes one. Albeit it takes a Stephen Kingsley deflection, which I didn't know at the time. I thought it was just a really sweet strike, and I thought it would have to be to beat a goalkeeper of Craig Gordon's caliber from that far out, but. The deflection of Kingsley diverts it past him. Was it just me that felt nervous? McIver, would you like did any kind of PTSD of previous seasons creep back in? Or what of was course it did. I was thinking, oh well, that's that three-two loss incoming. Yes, it's can't wait. Uh, it, I was really annoyed by it because it's a guy who has previous doing this. Like Edwards often has a shot from range that and often they're on target. I don't think he's actually scored many, but he, he often likes to do it. And it was like, I remember it reminded me of the Aaron Hickey Easter Road derby with Stevie Mallon's goal, where it was like, this is, a, this is a guy, though, that you know has a shot on him from distance. So why are you allowing him so much space? I know, I know there's an element of like, he's so far out, but I just feel somebody should... I don't want them touch tight and then as a result, right position, but just look like you're pressuring. It very much was like, right, fine, you have it, you have it. You're going to play a ball in here and we'll sort it. But he was just like, right, just stepping off me. I'm hitting. And yes, obviously, the Kingsley header takes it away from Gordon in that split second. And you can see after he's Kingsley holds his hand up. And sorry, Kingsley is obviously right to try and stick his head in front of it. But it actually ends up doing more harm than good. But it was just very frustrating considering how well we'd played. Obviously, United had had that chance we just spoke about with Gordon, but generally, we deserved to be 2-0 up. Scott, agree with that? I, I, I mean, I think the goal just comes for, again, you take the pros and cons with any system that you, you try and implement, and I think we can see that there's definitely more pros and cons where we are current setup. But there is definitely occasions where Benny and Devlin are that preoccupied with what's already going on in the middle of the park, that if a defender does step up, which thankfully out with the Celtic and Rangers, not too many centre-halves are very adept at doing in this league, but if they do, it is going to be a little bit like the partner of the waves, where there almost isn't anyone like you say, touch tight or even getting close enough to block it, uh, so I think that's something that we may see the, the, odd, the odd occurrence of, but thankfully, as we've already touched upon, we've got the best goalkeeper in the league, we do have a solid back three as well, so I can't see it you know, hitting us like it did that time. And we were 2-1 up, and I would say the first half was probably our better performance out of the two halves. Mm -hmm. And the way that we reacted to that for the next 10 minutes, I wouldn't say that I was happy as soon as they scored. You've naturally always got those doubts as a fan, but by half time, I felt like we were in enough control where we would go on and still win the game. Uh, so I did feel at half time as if we'd done enough to get back into the driving seat. And we, Dundee United had that brief moment, but then they really didn't do anything after that. No, I, I echo those sentiments totally. I think we were in control, but like you say, there's always there's always that little bit of doubt. And I don't know whether it's just because even if we hark back to kind of the Dundee game, we're talking about United here, so it's quite fitting that the rivals come into my noggin. 
the fact that we are only one ahead, there's always that chance. And I felt as though first half, like you say, we were very convincing, albeit 2-1 in front. So I was mightily relieved to see us restore our two-goal cushion pretty early on in that second half, actually. Um, I think it's just, it's it's pretty much just unrational investment that you've got in the team that, that makes you do it. Even, like, we were in total yeah. control of that match, you know? And, and the reason... The reason that we unrationally think it's all going to come a cropper is the same reason why we get so panic-stricken when we play out for the back. When you watch another team do it on the telly, you love it. You sit back and you relax because you've not got any emotional investment in it. As soon as it's your team doing it, no matter how good they are, you you do get those moments where that Tourette starts to show and you're like, lump it, you know, get up the park, do whatever you want. It happens to us all. And it's the same when you go 2-1. They always say that. It's, It's the classic cliche you know, the next goal is so important. So when it's the United that get it, it's, it's natural for us to all think that, especially, again, given the PTSD that we're still all suffering from a little bit from the last two or three years. <laughs> but thankfully, our PTSD was put to bed for, for a little while. And like I say, Hearts restoring their two-goal advantage, going 3-1 up, courtesy of a fantastic Ben Woodburn goal. But I want to touch on the Josh Janelli chance from which we win the initial corner because Josh Ginelli was absolutely fantastic on the day. And I felt as though McIver, all his performance was missing was a goal. And he was just denied with a couple decent stops from Benji Seacrest. That's the thing. Benji Seacrest conceded five and you'd still say he had quite a good game because it could have yeah. been so many more if it wasn't for him. Gino will be gutted that he didn't get a goal because, he, as you say, his performance definitely merited one. Uh, his assist was obviously great for Cochrane's goal. Uh, he was heavily involved in most goals we scored as well. And just that's the Gino we saw last season. We said a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of episodes ago, sorry, that he's just been a bit frustrating this season where he, he did a thing in fairness this game that summed him up where he was completely clean through. He beat Mulgrew in uh, Edwards and then cut back and tried to beat him again and got tackled. And it was it was that moment where it's like, Gino, you've done it. You, you do, you've you got have the confidence to just go but for the majority of that game he did have that confidence he was like I'm faster than you guys I'm better at the ball uh, better with the ball at my feet I'm going to be able to get past you and Seagrass did so especially this one where he taps it just past and it was just he just did very well frustratingly as Gino also did very very well of course but Benji Seagrest was nowhere near a phenomenal finish from Ben Woodburn as Craig Halkett nods down from the resulting corner. Taylor Moore miscontrols, but in the end, it's actually a fantastic assist to roll into Ben Woodburn's path, arriving from deep, and Scott producing that finish. I mean, that was just absolutely glorious, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I took a bit of an assumption that he meant it at the game. So I sit in section N, I, I had a good view of the goal, but even then you're sort of thinking has he really meant that? And then you go back, you obviously watch it uh, on the on the sort of videos and that on the repeats later on that evening. On the VHS, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I totally. <laughs> All VHS. Uh, didn't he go losing this demographic? But didn't mention VHS again. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a great side-footed finish. And, you know, we mentioned earlier on about the ability that maybe he has that others in the squad don't. And I think he is one of the select few in that team that would take a chance in, in that way. Uh, you know, there's a few that would have just smashed it. Uh, Benny oh, probably would have fully controlled it, 
ran back, tripped <laughs> over it, and then went back. You know, so aye, it was a, it was a really good finish. Uh, brilliant. McIver, what did you make of it? Obviously, opens up the body and just caresses it over Seacrest into that top right hand corner. That it was a postage stamp finish. I thought it took a deflection. So from the angle I'm at, obviously I'm not at the back at all. So I was like parallel to it. And the way it went, I was like, there's no way he's actually just done that clean. Like, I know he's good, but he's not that good, surely. But just, again, as you say, when you, when you watch the slow motion one back, it's oh. where you can really tell that he does mean it. It isn't just, as you say, Scott, other players would have just smashed at that, toe punted it, just run, put their laces through it. Um, I do just want to touch on, because about two minutes later, there was a corner where Benny had a chance, and I have never seen a football player so bad in the 18-yard box who is so good outside it. I've seen a lot of players as bad as him in the 18-yard box, but oftentimes they're the strikers that we're relying on. But for someone who is like world-class outside the box, he gets in and just goes, I am now a five-year-old who has never played football before, ever. So My if man, it was biscuits. Him, yes, exactly, biscuits in the box. If it was him, that's going nowhere. If it's most players in that park, it's not going in. But you see, as you say, he just completely opens his body, opens his foot, foot up, and just couldn't have placed it any better. And as we said, that weight off his shoulders in the first half to get his first goal, he then has the confidence to be able to go and do that. Definitely. Where, where do we think it ranks in terms of a goal of the season contender for us? Because it's certainly up there. We've got a few like I can all I really like the Michael Smith goal for a few weeks ago where Barry Mackay dropped his shoulder, played it across to Cochrane, who played it back in that, for Smith the, to volley. The Livy game. The Livy game. Kingsley's free kicks have been amazing, oh. obviously. Uh, I will say this because I'll get pelters if I don't. Every single Kingsley free kick that he scored, I've said just before it, he's no scoring here. At that corner, my brother went, I think we're going to score here. And I was like, we never score free corners. What are you talking about? I just need to spend the entire 90 minutes going, but no good the end in here. This we're is rating our set pieces. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that, we're apparently amazing at it. But it's right up there in terms of goal of the season. In terms of like the technique behind it, it probably is our best goal we've scored. Any come to mind for you, Scott? I don't know. It's, it's difficult, eh? Because I think because it's kind of sandwiched in a 5-2 performance where the performance itself has been brilliant, it will still be remembered by the end of the season, but I think there'll be more important strikes that'll be also good for a technical standpoint that I think will always sort of trump that. So someone will come up trumps in a game where we nick a 1-0 against one of our rivals, and that'll probably be the one that everyone sort of remembers. But it's, look, it's, it's a great finish. I, I think the fact that we can actually have a, a debate about this and not just accept it as the best goal of the season says a lot about the season that we're having just now. Yeah, really appreciate that positive outlook. Nice, I like <laughs> it. Um, of course, United then haul themselves back into the game once again. So the PTSD re-emerges. Um, it's great that Hearts, you know, put my ticker. Just, it's honestly, it's either so calm or it's just absolute chaos why why do hearts feel necessary to do this but it is a great goal from a dundee united perspective um playing it from the back i think it's declan glass and peter pollock kind of exchanging a couple of passes in the middle of the park eventually gets worked out to kieran freeman from right back who centers for an unmarked nicky clark to head home great goal we're kind of i don't know whether we're at sixes and sevens and just allowing nicky clark to kind of break free but again, that frustration comes that we're not further ahead and that it's only that one goal kind of advantage, McIver. 
I think that is the dictionary definition of a counter-attack goal. If you looked that goal up in the dictionary, it would fall under that category. I think it's a fantastic goal. And to be honest, I don't think there's that much we can do about it. We're really advanced for the set piece. They wing it back. Suter, I think, loses the ball outside their 18-yard box. So immediately we're like, right, we're missing him at the back, who is probably where Clark eventually ends up. But it's at this point, I, I do just want to say, this was easily the best game of football I've been to in years. I can't think Without of a, a game, because the, the game I kind of compared it to in my head in terms of Tyne Castle games was the Motherwell 6-0. But that wasn't a great game. That was a great performance by us and result. But Motherwell were atrocious. Like, That's funny. I went with my pal Ewan and he compared it to another Motherwell match, which was the 4-2 only Topsy Turviness. Yeah, that's a, that's the the one I settled on. That it was yeah. that it's the best game since then because Dundee United did not deserve to lose five two. But at the same time, they probably wouldn't have felt remiss if we'd scored more. Like it was, it was just an insane, insane game. And the goal is fantastic. It's just as I say, it just sticks in the definition of counter-attack. They, they move it quickly, they move it with purpose. It's a great ball in. Gordon can't do anything about it because if he claim if he comes for that, there's a high chance that whoever's in front is going to nick it just before it gets to him. And if he doesn't, Clark's there and it's in a horrible position for him to try and claim it. And there was that element of it's 3-2. Here, <laughs> here we only, go. Yeah, but I will be honest, at that point, I was thinking... I think we've done it. Before we get the other one, I was like, I think we've done enough to get the three points here. Scott? It's, it's, it's a consequence of the intent that we're now showing. I mean, mm-hmm. Cammy Devlin and, and, you know, Benny have both been signed as predominantly holding midfielders and, you know, elsewhere that they've played in their career. But we're actually giving them free licence, specifically Devlin, to just sort of support the front three as often as we can. And I think, you know, if you say to Hearts fans, well, would you take the fact that we are going to have teams that are going to break away and they're going to pick us off, you know, and maybe get a couple of goals on the break against us? You would take it if the sort of the flip side of that is seeing what we're seeing just now. So I think just now the attacking intent does mean that I think we are going to leave ourselves susceptible to that type of breakaway. And I don't think that's the last time we'll see that happen to us this season. But United are, are, are good at it as well. That's not the first time I've seen them score that type of goal. I'd say the third goal they scored against Hibs was similar in the way in which, you know, it was pretty much one-touch stuff. They knew where everyone day, was. Freeman in that position yeah. scores for them in that game, but this time he's assisting Clark. And they, they look like a decent side. If, if, they, if they can come up with the readies to support the manager, I think they could finish, you know, easily top four, top five at the end of the season, purely because the players they've got just now are buying into what the manager's clearly wanting to do. But I still think they've got a few players there that are not of the standard that they need. So a couple of examples would probably be Nicky Clark and Peter Pollitt. They're not what I'd class as top six premiership footballers, but if they can get players into the place, those players yet still play in that system, they, they'll be they'll fine. Do, they'll they'll, they'll do not have any issues. For now, won't they? It's kind yeah. of a stopgap for, for later on. Yeah, I, I'd, agree, I'd agree with that. Um, United were, were, were excellent. Um, there was something that I was going to say there, but I can't remember what it was, so we'll move on. Um, <laughs> of course, oh no, I was, I, I can remember now, because I can't believe I've even come back to this. I should have just skipped on, because regrettably, I hate giving Daniel McIver any form of credit, but Cammy Devlin, 
I thought slipped under the radar in terms of performance. I thought he was, was man of the ab- match. He was absolutely outstanding. Covered every single blade of grass, and just works tirelessly. I'm convinced that he's the Duracell bunny because he just does not stop running from minute one, um, and was at the heart of everything. Like you said, offensively, and tried to get back defensively as much as he could as well. Forget Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Adam Cole. Kami Devlin is the elite. He is the best signing we've made. He's, I, I adore him. I said on Twitter after that game, and he himself shared it, that he's my favourite signing we've made in years. I, just, I love him. He's everything I want in a player. And you're right that it weirdly, his performance did go under the radar, but I saw loads of people saying that he was man of the match. But because he doesn't score in a 5-2 game, obviously people will be drawn to... The offensive-minded players. Yes, exactly. And the goal scorers. I've not seen him put a foot wrong yet. He he winds everybody up. He ended up having a six-foot-five guy throttling him, which I still don't understand how that wasn't a red card. But anyway, but the fact that it happened at a dead ball moment when the guy throttling him, his teammates down injured, and Devlin's so in his head that he's making them focus on him, I just, I love him. And I'm already mentally prepared for losing them next season because surely somebody's going to have to come in for them. What a positive note to end on. Look, I, um, I was actually going to say, sorry, Adam, but are, are you all right? Because I thought you were going to come out with some sort of nervous tick. Everything Daniel mentions a, a wrestler or any sort of wrestling related <laughs> reference. It's just sort of... I'm, I'm great, mate. I, I just, I, I'm not a scooby what he was on about, so I just let it slide. It's only then when he said Tammy Devlin is the elite, I was like, oh, okay, I can agree with that. I, I had no idea what he was referencing prior to that. Um, of course, Josh Janelli, we've mentioned, he then hits the post in search of that goal that unfortunately did escape him. Um, and again, like I'd said, that was all I felt was missing from his performance. MacGyver, you said about, uh, was it Keir that said, from the, the corner that we would score. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I mentioned that I go with one of my pals, Ewan, and one of our mates, Tanner, said, and I quote, before the free kick was taken for the fourth goal, I guarantee nothing will come of this free kick. <laughs> so then Alex Cochran chips one in at the back stick. Stephen Kingsley, who's usually on our set pieces, nods home again, sort of like Nicky Clark, he's somewhat unmarked at the back post. I don't think this was a great game from a defensive aspect, but given the crazy nature of it, it could have ended up any scoreline. Well, like again, the two-goal lead is restored, Scott. I, I feel like we've been waxing lyrical about United quite a bit tonight, so this is the opportunity where we can actually yeah. have a proper go at them. them. Yeah. They what had they about seven <laughs> men in that wall. I know! I, 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 like... No wonder they were, we were overloaded at the back and it was two on one because it was it must have been at least six, maybe even yeah. seven guys up in the wall for a free kick in that position. A really good like <laughs> the seventh man must have been covering like section like VRW and the Gorgie's that like couldn't understand it. Like it was really I mean it's worked for us, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, if there's one thing United need to take for that game in terms of a negative, then their, their positioning for, for set plays is definitely one of them. Uh, but hey, we'll, we'll take it. It's, it's still, you know, he still has to take it. It's a decent good header. header. Uh, decent header. ball for Cochrane as well. So it's still a, a reasonably decent goal for our end as well. I will say, Adam, you were, quite, you were quite generous there by saying relatively unmarked. 
Kingsley was almost <laughs> when you when you watch it back, Kingsley kind of has a look around as if like, am I just invisible? Why is no one marking me at all? And he doesn't really have to move. He's just like, oh, if this ball comes within a five yard radius of me, I'm getting this myself. I, I just I just didn't know how to put it. I didn't want to be too critical because I have no idea what they're doing. It's not even like it's kind of zonal marking from the set piece given. I, I, I don't know. I don't Is know. it, Scott? You're, sp- you're spot on. I, I remember, because again, it's literally parallel to me as I'm watching it, and I nudged my dad going, what do they think is happening here? Like, why have they got a wall set up as if we're going to send a rocket through it? Like, it was it was so weird. But yeah, as we're all saying, not complaining about it. I hope they don't. I hope they never change that. I hope they're world class in open play. And then from set pieces, they're like an under nines team. They're just like we don't know what to do from set pieces. We've we've mentioned various times of PTSD throughout the performance. Surely then, with 15 minutes to go, that two-goal lead, we were thinking three points secured, no? Yes. Well, I don't know, because Nondalee comes on right after that. And I was at, I was starting to have kittens because he was warming up and he got stripped at 3-2. And I'm thinking, he's not proven it's himself to be team, someone who yeah. can really hold the ball and really... But then you, you get that goal and it's like, right, OK. You can come on now. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's fine. So, yeah, it was still, still just there, just a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned Armin Nandwili because obviously the fifth is the clincher toward the very end, and all three substitutes actually played their part in the goal. His isn't when you great... say all three players well, play the part. Do you mean that he just doesn't get in the way? So he does a good job in not getting in the way. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say bet- between that and he kind of sends the initial ball. He's just not capable of playing the initial ball. He, to try he does and a good impression of Paul McCallum when Billy King scored yeah, yeah, against yeah, yeah, yeah. a few years really, ago. He just stays, away, just stays like in the background apart, and goes, but, "I'll let yeah. you get on with it." Like I'm not going to get involved. If here. you weren't at that game, you would have no idea what Adam's talking about because in the highlight, it starts with a Dundee United player with a ball at his feet and that. And we're not even on the screen. So you just be like, was Adam even there? What is he? <laughs> no, but he looks to say the ball to GMS. He's just incapable of playing the pass. I don't know why he's even on the right flank anyway. He does well, know. in fairness. He like does bodies somebody. He bodies somebody and then pushes forward and plays a ball. The ball is just overhit too much. I, I, I thought it was being generous to Big Nando, but look. <laughs> It just came out of nowhere. It was just like, I didn't expect Nandler to get praised on this fifth goal. No, I just I just thought that it was a decent link and try and, try and use the fact you that you know that we had subs. a good, You know that we had a good result and that we're happy when you are giving Nandler credit for a goal he wasn't involved no, I, in. I, they're doing well, I don't, I don't but there still the needs man. to be a boo boy at the club. There <laughs> still exactly. needs to be someone, okay? Let's not lose focus of that. Well, we still need I'm, to get our kicks. One of my pals, one of my pals, Ross, his boo boy is still Craig Halkett. So, like, <laughs> like that between amongst yourselves, I know. When we go to a back four, he'll be my new boo I, boy. Again yeah, that's fair. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but in the meantime, it's currently Armand Nandrilly who looks to send for Gary Mackay Stephen. Um, look, I, I think Nando should release it a bit quicker. It's a terrible ball. Don't Do know. You have, no, have it, conviction. <laughs> you stood by no, him and you said that he was good. Don't now turn. Look, it, it changes week by week. <laughs> it genuinely does. We've talked about this bipolar behaviour before. Um, but look, United are trying to play a couple of passes. I think it's a great recovery from Kieran Freeman again, who I thought had a decent game, obviously provides the assist for Clark and whatever. Um, 
And then Ian Harks, I think it is, plays back to Ryan Edwards, dispossessed by your mate, Daniel Gary Mackay Stephen, slips through after turning and sends Aaron McInef through on goal, a sensational finish from a guy that we wanted to feature on a more regular basis. Cool, calm, composed, and he made it look so easy on the eye, despite it being such a complex finish and is so rusty through through a lack of game time, Daniel. Yeah, I, I will get this out of the way because folk will criticise me for it. Like, GMS 316, he played the pass. That's it. He does well to recover, and he played the pass. Well done. Well done. But the McInerney finish is a finish of someone who you'd think has been in the team for most games and is playing with confidence. and Sky high. Is, yeah, 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 exactly. It does not look like a player who this is his first appearance in the league this season with a final 10 minutes. And I think it's just a credit to him as an individual. We saw that um, throughout last week, following the game that he was interviewed by Barry Anson, he spoke about the fact that he was like, yeah, listen, I've not been getting the game time, but I'm not just going to sit and cry about it. I'm going to keep pushing myself. I'm going to do well in training and try and take that opportunity when I get it. And you can't ask for any more of what he did. He came on with 10 minutes left when we had a two-goal cushion just to kind of shut the shop. He was playing left wing. He wasn't even playing in his natural position and looked really good, did incredibly well. You could tell by his celebration he was delighted and that it was, again, I keep saying it, another player with a weight off their shoulders. And I really do hope we see more of him. I think Benny has played really well but might need a rest. He's one of the few players to kind of play almost every minute we've had this season. And going away to Motherwell this weekend, which we'll touch on, I'd really like to see a pairing of McInef and Devlin because I feel like I feel like in this policy that Robbie has, you can't say to your player, right, when you get a chance, you need to take it. Then when he takes that chance, not give him another chance to do so because that could kick his morale down to the levels that we don't want it to be at. That's really annoying that you want that central midfield partnership, same as me at Fur Park, so that's great. Scott, what have you made of uh, Aaron McInef's lack of game time? And of course the sensational finish that ultimately sealed a classic down Gorgie Way. I think it was, it was a great finish. He's, he's a good example of the type of squad player we need just now to keep that squad strong. In terms of where he is, in terms of trajectory in his career, he's already had one really big disappointment when Spurs let him go as a youngster. He's had to work his way through the Irish leagues. He's now found a decent opportunity playing back in Britain again. And if it wasn't to work for him at Hearts, where does he go from there? The chances are he maybe joins our bottom six Scottish Premiership team or he maybe goes down to League One or two down south. So I think you can tell that he's, he's really keen for this to work out for him. And he's definitely got the right work ethic in that uh, to do so as well. And I thought his body language was really good when he came on. He got really involved. If you were to compare his body language to the other two subs, uh, you know, non-delay, and I'm not just talking about when he came on, his body language at the warm-up was really poor. I was, was just strange. Yeah. He was walking yeah. about, talking to players half the time. Yeah. He wasn't even involved. It was just, And I don't know whether that's just something he always does or if I've just focused on it because I was in the ground maybe earlier than I normally was. Focused on your boot boy. My, yeah, <laughs> aye, it, it maybe is. But, but yeah, uh, it was a really good sort of 10-minute cameo. He is going to be needed at some stage over the next two to three months because I do think we are going to have to tweak the system a little bit 
in certain games, especially away from home. I think we are going to need that third man in the middle of the park. So whether it's him or whether it's it's Haran, uh, we still need to wait and see. But he's definitely going to have a a, a role to play. Uh, so it's good to see that he's you know he's he's on it and he's he, you know he's more than happy to get involved and come up trumps. And it was a really tidy finish because it wasn't actually it wasn't a brilliant ball for Mackay Stephen. It was yeah. a bit under hit. So his first touch was really vital because that gets the ball right in front of him and it kind of makes the decision for him when Seagrass comes out of him uh, at that sort of pace. So it was a really good finish to see. And cool, calm, composed, seals the deal for Hearts. 5-2 scoreline, fantastic stuff. And now, of course, the domestic football is back. The Jambos, fresh off that United victory, look to take on Motherwell at Fur Park, like we've mentioned. Um, McIver, you've touched on kind of the duo that you'd like to see in midfield. What are you anticipating from Motherwell? Because we've mentioned that Van Veen is obviously suspended. Jordan Roberts is ineligible. So it'll probably be Watt, Woolery and another in attack. I'm assuming Connor Shields. I'm not 100%. But I think aside from both Dundee United performances, the Motherwell match is the most happy that I've been with Hearts this season in terms of killing the contest nice and early. Not relaxing as such after we've, you know, gone two to the good first half in, in a game of such magnitude. But it, it, I think the game was done in that first half. Are you just wanting a repeat of that at Fur Park? Very much so, because I'm going. So I, I want it to be a very routine win, because so far I've been to one away game, I think, yeah, this season, St Johnston away. Fair, it? Yeah. yeah. And we actually that played as a full away thing. trip. Did you not turn up at like half time? <laughs> it doesn't even matter. <laughs> I, I may have missed the first 35 minutes. Of the game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hopefully I'll get a full away trip this weekend. Um, but listen, Motherwell came to us on fantastic form the first time this season. And we, as you say, just completely nullified them the uh, someone drug test this Hearts team, I think, became the, the quote from you or me after it. Um, and I just, I hope for the same, particularly because Motherwell are not in the same form that they've been in. I know, obviously, they've just bounced back with a win against Aberdeen, but generally... To that, I think it was kind of one point in five league games, if my memory says. Exactly. So, I hope we do well. I think the big talking point from this is going to be selection in terms of if Liam Boyce is fit. Because what do you do? Because Boyce is our best outfield player. He's scored 10 goals this season. I, it, it's, it's hard. Question. It's, it's hard. What do you do? Scott, Scott answer it for us. <laughs> Look, this is, this is a difficult one. And not, not even just selection. It's That's just why we've turned the game. Aye, well, you're, you're looking at two clubs now. Motherwell's home form is no wins in four, 11 goals conceded. Hearts away form is no wins in four and no clean sheets since the trip to Tanadice back in like August. Thanks, so when mate, you look at it for that respect, there's going to be quite a bit going on at both ends, I think. I think it's going to be a bit end-to-end. Motherwell generally play with a 4-3-3, which means that we may struggle to get control of the game in the middle of the park. If Motherwell have been watching recent performances against us, the chances are they will look to press high. And look, I agree with Daniel. When it comes to productivity as an outfield player, no one really compares to Liam Boyce this season in a Hearts jersey. But I have a concern about the fact that teams have now cottoned onto our system. And I do think that Ginelli gives us that outball. And he does make those runs behind the back, uh, the back line. He stretches teams... 
we can then play a little bit of possession football where we can turn their defenders and maybe win, you know, shies up the park, get the odd set player corner kick. I don't think we get that for Boyce. Boyce tends to want to come deep and almost sometimes plays a little bit like a number 10 uh, yeah. when we're out of possession. If Ginelli and Woodburn are playing beyond them, it's fine. But we've not really touched on Barry Mackay much, but I haven't really been overly impressed with Mackay. I generally think he comes too deep when he's looking for the ball. And the problem I've got with that is when we're playing away from home, having him come that deep for the ball and having Boyce as our own front man means that if we are Get getting pressed and our centre halves are struggling to you know, play a, an exact pinpoint ball, we're then hemmed into our own half for most of the game. And that's that's what happened at Aberdeen. So there's a few things that we will need to watch out for on Saturday, but I would I would stick with what we've got. And I would also stick with Taylor Moore, so I wouldn't change anyone in that starting 11. I was just going to ask your selection, so that answers that. McIver, are you very much of that same ilk? You've touched on potentially McInef coming in for Benny Beningame. Any other changes that you'd make ahead of this one? No, that's the only change I'd make, to be honest. I quite like the idea, actually, of Boyce off the bench for the last 25 minutes to just make... It's a great luxury, isn't it? Yeah, like, just have our top goal scorer off the bench to run at them for 25 minutes. What novelty that is. Um, however, I'll be honest, as I say, I would like to see McInef in alongside Devlin. I wouldn't be gutted if we name an unchanged 11, though, because no. there is an element of how can you change a team that's just won 5-2 in such a... I think anybody who drops out of that team will feel a bit like, what? Like, we've just put in that level of performance and I'm dropped. How else am I meant to stay in this side? However, I just want to hear how you're going to now fight Scott because he's criticised your child, basically. No, I, I, I do quite like Barry Mackay. Not as much as I love Benny Beningame, but True. I... I Look, I don't know. I, I'm kind of thinking even sort of the same as the United game. I'm thinking Mullerwell centre-halves, Big Mugabe, Ayala, what's the other boy's name? Is it Solholm Johansson or something like that? All three absolutely massive. And again, that trio worked really well with kind of, I don't want to say kind of free-flowing attacking football, but at points it actually kind of mm-hmm. was. They, they, did, they did play some, some scintillating stuff. And I'm hoping that that can be the case Again, no matter who Motherwell choose, kind of as their two out those three centre halves. What we're thinking in terms of score lines, I'll go to Scott first. I reckon two one hearts. I'm hoping it'll be two 0 I'm hoping it'll be fairly comfortable like the last game. But I've got a funny feeling they'll nick a goal for a set play. So two one hearts. McIver. Oh fuck! I forgot how shit we are for set plays. Actually, that's a fair point. Uh, I'm going to go for a very good game again, but an ultimately disappointing two-all draw. I'm also going to draw. Going I love on. how we've just spent like an hour and a bit going, how class are we, by the way? And you've went and nicked 2-1, I've went 2-all, and you're now about to go for a draw as well. No, I found points to that, to be fair, for both teams at true, this point. Two all. Like My heart's probably leaning <laughs> towards 2-1 more because that's what I want it to be. Yeah, uh, But 2 all's not a bad shout, to be fair. Look, I think is a point a bad result for us considering the run that they're on? Because Fur Park's traditionally a tricky place for us to go as well. Depends know. on what your expectations are for the season ahead. Yeah. It just depends what you really want with this team. And people will run away. We we fought, say, you know, challenging Rangers and Celtic this season because we've had a, so a, we must a, a win solid this weekend, start. In essence. 
Yeah, so it, it is one of those where if you want to challenge Rangers and Celtic, you know that you're probably going to view the games against them as bonuses. So what you really need to do is what Aberdeen done pretty well under McInnes for a few years, which is win your games against the rest of the league. So that's how people will view Hearts this season. They'll be expecting us to go to Fur Park and get a result. Kyrie, you confident we can do that? No. I just, I don't know what it is. I just, I know that this season we've kind of fixed away form. I know our only loss has been away from home. But generally, every single season, I'm like, we're barely going to pick up points away from home. And barring one game, we've done it in every single away game. But it's still us. That PTSD is still there. But don't try and get away with not giving a score prediction. So what you go? No, I, I said one each. I'm, I'm going one each. Oh, one each. Interesting. I, I, I want to be with Scott and say that we'll batter Motherwell in a, in a convincing performance, but I think we've just had one. I think this bipolar behaviour week by week will continue where we'll go from the Gorgi Galacticos to slightly underwhelming to then brilliant again. We'll see. We'll see. Well... That has been a bumper episode because, obviously, we had a lovely guest on. And I fucked us all by having a week off. So we thought we'd treat you. However, first of all, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed it. No problem. Loved it. It was brilliant. Fantastic to hear. Thank you, as ever, Adam, for joining me. And thank you all for listening. We have been Perth to Paisley. You can get us on all good podcast platforms. If you do so, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It massively benefits us through algorithms and it's just quite nice. Additionally, if you're watching this on YouTube, which you can see all three of us as we've spoken through this, please leave us a like, subscribe to the channel and comment as well. It massively, massively helps us. You can also send us an email, pertopaisley at gmail.com if you just want to get in contact with us. Additionally, we're also on all forms of social media at pertopaisley. However, we've got quite a lot of social media. So Scott, where can people get you on social media? Uh, well, I've got the Amarusa Let's It Run social page. So, I mean, just now, it is mostly heart stuff, but I've been very trolling Hibs-centric <laughs> the last 24 hours. So if you like if you like to see me annoy people like Kunster and that on, on uh, Twitter, then I'm probably quite a good outlet for that. But you can find me on there. There's the Amarusa Let's It Run YouTube channel. But like I say, it's pretty much, I'm at the process of deleting all the old videos reconverting them with a better resolution so you'll probably see all them re-uploaded by Christmas hopefully uh, but that's probably the two main places you can find me perfect that will also be in the YouTube description and the podcast description so all the links are there Adam where can they get you on social media and get me on all the socials at Adam T Kendall and what about yourself mate I am at dmckiver22. We'll be back next week to discuss the Motherwell game and any and all other things that are happening. But until then, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Come on the house!